Hello and welcome to Case Based Podcast for Clinical Practice, Series 3, Episode 1. In this podcast, you will hear Beth, the Foundation Year 1 trainee, discussing a patient she has assessed with the medical registrar, Lucy. Please pause the podcast at any stage to consider your own thoughts about the case. Hi Lucy, I've just clocked a patient that I would like to discuss with you. Sure, tell me about the presentation. The patient is Rebecca Johnson, a 26-year-old female with a background of mild headaches. She's attending A&E today because she woke up with the worst headache of her life. She's been feeling a bit rough with the flu for about three days now. This morning, over a few hours, she developed a sharp pain in the back of the right side of her head, which has gradually been spreading to the other side. The pain is ongoing with a constant severity of 7 out of 10. There was no specific trigger or head injury, and pain relief just isn't helping. She has spent most of this morning curled up in bed. Oh no, she doesn't sound well. Does she have any neurological or associated symptoms? She has been very nauseous, but has not vomited. She's experienced some sensitivity to bright lights and loud noises. She hasn't complained of any confusion, visual auras, double vision, facial weakness, weakness or numbness of the limbs, incontinence, nor any fits. Except for a runny nose and a sore throat, she has not had any other systemic symptoms. Is her presentation different to her usual headaches? So her usual headaches are usually mild and unilateral. They become generalized slowly and they're normally associated with photophobia. They usually resolve after sleeping in a dark room for a few hours. Her usual triggers are excessive consumption of coffee or lack of sleep, none of which she has reported with this episode. Hmm. Okay, and anything particularly relevant in the rest of her history? She's otherwise fit and well. Her headaches usually don't even disrupt her life significantly. She has asthma, which is well controlled with inhalers. She has no significant family history. And besides the inhaler, she's not on any regular medication. She does not have any allergies. And she occasionally smokes on drinks on the weekends, but has never used any recreational drugs. Headaches are a common side effect of the contraceptive pill. Is she on one by any chance? Also, does she use analgesia excessively, as this can cause analgesia-induced headaches? She's not on the contraceptive pill and got her period two days ago. They're actually heavier and more painful than usual. Also, with regards to pain relief, she doesn't actually take any usually, but she's had to have two paracetamol tablets this morning. Hmm. Okay, I think we've got a good picture of this presentation and background. Well done, Beth. What about on examination? On examination, she appeared to be extremely tired. She had a normal cardiovascular, respiratory and abdominal examination. In terms of her observations, her respiratory rate was 16. She had stats of 100% on air, heart rate of about 95, blood pressure 118 over 65 and a temperature of 37.8 degrees. So she's slightly tachycardic with a mild temperature rise. And neurologically? Um, her GCS is 15 out of 15. Pupils were equal and reactive to light. However, she found that light did make things worse. An in-depth examination of her cranial nerves showed no significant abnormalities. 
and sensation, tone, coordination, power, and reflexes were preserved in both upper and lower limbs with a normal gait. However, it was apparent that she was just a little bit fatigued. She had no signs of a meningitis-type peripheral rash and no papilledema on looking at her optic discs, which could have been a sign of raised intracranial pressure. Does she have Koenig's or Brzezinski's sign? Just to make sure I've got this right, Koenig's and Brzezinski's signs are of meningism, right? Koenig's is performed with the patient supine, the hip and the knee are flexed to 90 degrees, an attempt is made to extend the knee. The test is usually positive if the maneuver causes pain in the neck or the back. And Brzezinski's flexion of the neck causes flexion of the hips and the knees, correct? Yes, well remembered there. So what do you think is going on? Well, in keeping of her recent flu-like symptoms, description of her headache and the temperature spikes, it sounds like meningitis is the most likely diagnosis. I just wanted to check, Lucy, that you were happy for me to investigate and treat immediately for meningitis as per protocol. I will also simultaneously rule out other possible causes of her headache. Yes, Beth. If you're suspecting meningitis, absolutely. Initiate treatment. But also continue to rule out other sources of infection. Thanks, Lucy. I'll get back to you with some of the results. Welcome to Case-Based Podcasts for Clinical Practice, Series 3, Episode 2. In this podcast, you will hear Beth discussing with Lucy her differentials and investigations for this. Please pause the podcast at any stage to consider your own thoughts about the case. Oh, hey, Lucy. Could we please discuss my patient, Rebecca Johnston, again? Yes, Beth. Let me remind myself. Rebecca, she's 26 with a severe posterior unilateral headache that has been gradually spreading with a constant severity of 7 out of 10, associated with nausea and photophobia. She was fatigued, had a temperature of 37.8 and was slightly tachycardic. Was she meningitic? So she reported mild neck pain, but neither Koenig's nor Badzinski's was positive. I've started treatment for meningitis, including IV antibiotics as per trust guidelines, and acyclovir for a possible viral cause. I've also written up some regular analgesia. Good, well done. So what are your current differentials? Well, since it's not very clear-cut, I thought the ideal way to approach the patient would be to think of primary and secondary headaches. That's a good starting point. So your primary headaches usually have no underlying cause, and recognising the pattern makes the diagnosis. These include tension-type headaches, migraines or cluster headaches, and benign intracranial hypertension. Whilst a secondary headache usually carries an underlying cause identifiable on examination or investigation, for example, brain tumours, meningitis and haemorrhage. What are your thoughts at the moment? Well, although Rebecca normally has headaches, this one was significantly more severe and it wasn't associated with her usual trigger and also non-responsive to paracetamol. So it's making me think that something more serious is actually going on. The preceding flu and associated temperature spike puts meningitis on the top of my differential list. However, the fact that it came on so suddenly and it is located posteriorly is making me worry about a subarachnoid hemorrhage. 
The lack of association with movement and no papilledema on examination of the optic discs makes raised intracranial pressure less likely. Yes, it is important to confirm that it is not a secondary headache. Let's discuss some primary headaches, as as 90% of headaches are primary. Do you have any in your deferential list? Well, I guess this could be a migraine, and the main features in keeping with this is how it progressed from a unilateral to a generalised headache. And it's also associated with nausea, photophobia and neck pain. However, there was neither a trigger nor any associated aura, so I'm not quite sure. Actually, there may not have been evidence of her usual triggers, but often in women, migraines worsen around the menstrual period. Also, not all migraines are associated with an aura. What investigations have you done given your differentials? I have taken blood cultures and bloods, including a full blood count to check haemoglobin in case of a bleed, and white cell count in case of an infection, in addition to CRP. Also, I've done use and ease to assess the dehydration and LFTs in case of other viral pathology. I have asked the nurses to do an ECG as she is tachycardic. I've also requested a CT head in order to rule out hemorrhage and to ensure there's no underlying space-occupying lesion, although this is unlikely as it came on so suddenly. I have requested a viral throat swab, an HIV test, a chest x-ray and a urine dip to rule out other sources of infection. If the CT head is negative, do a lumbar puncture with senior support. Take an INR before and ensure it's less than one to prevent bleeding during the puncture. Remember to measure the opening pressure and send the sample off for microscopy and culture, viral PCR, protein, glucose and biochemistry. What about assessing for xanthochromia? I'm always unsure about this. Ah, yes. It has now been 12 hours since the event, so you could test for it. Xanthochromia is produced from red cell breakdown and would only be present in the CSF 12 hours after a cephalopoid hemorrhage. Also, don't forget to take a serum glucose sample at the same time for comparison. Once all of those results are back, we can discuss it further there. Well done. Thanks again, Lucy. I'll get those bits done and come back to you. Welcome to Case-Based Podcast for Clinical Practice, Series 3, Episode 3. In this podcast, you will hear Beth updating Lucy further on the patient's practice. Please pause the podcast at any stage to consider your own thoughts about this. Hey Lucy, can I catch you again? I've got most of the results of the investigation on patient Rebecca Johnson and wanted to discuss further management for her diagnosis. Sure, Beth. The patient with the 7 out of 10 posterior spreading headache that is associated with nausea and photophobia. If I remember correctly, she was fatigued and had a temperature of 37.8 and was slightly tachycardic. We did discuss some investigations and a lumbar puncture. What did these show? The blood test showed a raised white cell count and raised inflammatory markers, possibly indicating infection. Her neutrophil count was elevated but not markedly, so I thought it would, it's less likely to be a bacterial infection. Her haemoglobin and the rest of her bloods were all normal. Her ECG showed sinus tachycardia with no other abnormalities. I am still waiting on her blood culture results. 
in terms of her other investigations to rule out infection, including her chest x-ray and urine dip, this was all negative. And what about the CT? The CT head was reported to show no signs of a space-occupying lesion or intracranial bleed. So I did the lump, lumbar puncture with the help of the SHO. Oh, well done. What were your results? The opening pressure was 12 millimetres of mercury, making bacterial meningitis and benign raised intracranial pressure less likely. Xanthochromia was negative, glucose and protein were normal. The white cell count was elevated, largely mononuclear cells. Gram stain and culture was negative. I'm still awaiting the viral PCR and I've tried to chase the lab, but the LP findings currently confirm viral meningitis as the likely diagnosis. Correct. What do you think the LP would have showed if this was bacterial meningitis? So the opening pressure would have been slightly elevated, CSF protein elevated, but CSF glucose would be low as the bacteria would consume the glucose for energy. This means that the ratio of CSF glucose to serum glucose would also be low. The white cell count would be markedly elevated, however you'd see mainly neutrophils instead. Also, the gram stain and bacterial culture would be positive. Exactly. Let us talk about the treatment for meningitis. In Rebecca's case, since the most likely diagnosis is viral meningitis, treatment includes rest, fluids, analgesia, and an antipyretic like paracetamol. I've also started empirical treatment with, with acyclovir to cover for herpes simplex or herpes zoster. If this was bacterial meningitis, we would have to continue IV antibiotics and potentially steroids are considered to reduce inflammation. Well done. If the PCR for herpes simplex or herpes zoster is negative, we can discuss with microbiology and possibly stop the acyclovir. Do you know what the most common cause of viral meningitis is? The most common cause of viral meningitis is enterovirus, followed by herpes simplex virus type 2 or varicella zoster virus. Other causes include measles, mumps and HIV. I have read that no virus is identified in about 30 to 40% of cases. Is that correct? Absolutely. And in most cases, the viral infections are mild. Treatment is usually supported with spontaneous resolution over weeks. Admit her and will continue the acyclovir and provide supportive management with observation. Thanks for all your help, Lucy. I'll write up the drug chart with supportive medication and the acyclovir. I will let the day team know to monitor her symptoms and chase the viral serology. If she's doing well over the next 24 to 48 hours, can we discharge her home? I think we should rediscuss her case within 24 to 48 hours. When it comes to discharge, don't forget to advise her to seek immediate medical attention for any worsening of her symptoms. Also, let me know if anything changes or if you need help with anything else, Beth. Thank you for all your time and help, Lucy, and the teaching alongside has been really useful. Well done, Beth. See you later. Bye.